You're listening to The Stolen Garden by Philip Alisha. As always, if you'd like to read along to the text of the story, then you can find a link to my blog where I upload stories pretty regularly uh, in the description of this video. You can also so subscribe to the YouTube channel that I keep these stories on, or go to Spotify and do the same thing. It was dark out, so dark that Madeline couldn't see if it was raining. She pulled down the shades anyway and turned on the lights, explaining to her daughter Sarah that she wanted privacy. She had nothing to hide. Still, if she had had her way, their house wouldn't be so close to the street and to their neighbors. Her husband convinced her the traffic wasn't so bad. Time proved Isaac right on that point, something Madeline was glad to admit. Nothing else about the house had worried her at the time. She had nothing to hide, but it was the possibility of being observed that unnerved her. Sarah was in the habit of taking flowers from the park and replanting them in her family's backyard. Never anything big, because those were to be noticed, but little ones, marigolds and daisies and dandelions. She took them when it was dark out, at night in spring and summer, early evening in fall and winter. She held flowers by their stems, her fingers curling just under the bulb, the way some children hold wine glasses. The hunks of dirt to which the roots clung would come down through her fingers in bits, forming a trail that was hard to see on the park's unpaved pathways, even in daylight. Sarah had just returned from the park, and so she went to wash her hands. Every so often, people would remark that the garden looked different. Some of them just couldn't go about their day without knowing why. If they ruled out natural causes, and not everyone did. They demanded that the person responsible be found. It was rare that their complaints got to someone with power. Any adult could scare Sarah to tears by telling her to stop misbehaving. Yes, flowers had gone missing, but what could you do about it? Only the groundskeeper had the time to keep a lookout and a chance to catch the thief. Once Sarah brought a flower into her possession, it never left. If she was feeling generous, she would return a flower that had grown from the seeds of those she had taken. These sudden appearances of new flowers in the park weren't as noticed as their disappearance, and so they were easier to pull off. Flowers look to the sun as best they can. It had happened before that she returned some to the park without taking this into account. The flowers forgave her and covered up her mistake as quickly as they could. Not everything she took was missed. Dandelions grew everywhere, even where they weren't allowed, like the park. When the groundskeeper found Sarah pulling up weeds, he thanked her after he frightened her and apologized for it. She dug down and around the flower. He thought it was best to, he, he thought it was be, to be thorough in her weeding. Really, she wanted to protect the roots. It was easier, he said, to pull them up by the low end of the stem. He showed her how. First you close your fist, which he did as if throttling someone, and then you yank. The imagined dandelion gave way to his strong arms as easily as a real one would. 
His overalls were so thoroughly dirty that washing only removed the topmost layer and left the rest between the seams and the stitching. He was old. His time in the sun made him look much older. Even the flowers in the park that people didn't call weeds were common. Although it was impossible, Madeline believed her daughter when she said the wind blew seeds into the, their yard. To Sarah, these flowers were toys, not paintings in a gallery. They even made copies of themselves, so there was even less reason why, than usual why she shouldn't take what she wanted. She trusted her father with the truth about where the flowers came from, not considering that he might tell her mother. Had he, Madeline would have made Sarah return everything and apologize to everyone who could possibly have taken offense. Still, her father didn't know everything. He saw only her flowers and not her other treasures. It was understandable, then, that he thought her interests more one-sided than they were. He brought her a little edelweiss from a mountain. You could only go in summer, he said, because it was too cold in other seasons. He asked, did she want, want to visit the mountain? She said no. He could guess the reason, her fear of heights. Whenever she was in a tall building, she feared the whole thing would tip forward. On mountains, she was afraid of her own weakness and also of rocks falling, both on top of her and from underneath. Holding on to her father still the first of these fears, but she thought taking him along would make him a potential casualty of the mountain. Better not risk more than necessary. She put the flower in her hair. He took to calling her Edelweiss for a day, but now the change stuck. She kept it pinned to her dress, near her heart, though not right above it, since that too made her afraid. One day, he saw a boy beside her as she was walking home, later than usual. The boy had his hands firmly in his jacket pockets, as if to warm them. His name and his intentions could be guessed at, but not yet known. Isaac waved. They both returned the gesture. Nothing more happened between the three of them for the rest of the day. Isaac wanted to keep his distance. It was best not to pry. Sarah had met the boy earlier that day, in detention. She talked in class. He forgot his homework and was praised for at least being honest about it this time. Once in detention, Warren tried to make her laugh with the notes he gave her, planning to get her in trouble. He pulled it off, but when Sarah laughed, she dropped his note. The, the teacher picked it up and recognized his handwriting. Both of them would have to stay later. Sarah protested that she shouldn't be blamed. It was his fault, not hers. Warren said he shouldn't be let off, but lacked a reason why. He didn't even have the innocence of a first offender. The teacher repeated that both of them would have to stay later, as if, because of their protests, they simply hadn't heard him. As everyone waited for the time to be up, Sarah sorted through how she felt about the boy sitting beside her. Her dislike of Warren for getting her into trouble was genuine, as was her laughter. Then she began to doubt herself, and her opinion of him softened. She didn't know it was his fault. Better to call it bad luck. Warren's feelings were less complex. He was pleased to have tricked Sarah, but resented getting caught. 
that to him was a problem of planning. He figured how to overcome it. The main obstacles, as he perceived them, were that his notes could be identified by their handwriting and by where they were found. He thought of ways to write differently, and in the future he wouldn't sit so close to Sarah or whoever his next victim might be. The teacher let them out long before Warren had taught himself a new writing style without pen and paper. Sarah lost track of him among the other students until they all went one way and he chose another, where she was headed. It looks like we live in the same neighborhood, Warren said, eager to explain away thoughts she must be having about him following her. Seems that way, she said. Warren found a stone by the wayside. He kicked it out in front of him with every step, then kicked it too hard and lost it. So where exactly do you live, he asked, when a minute of silence had passed. I'll show you. Saying this, she walked ahead of him at a determined pace, then motioned that he should catch up. When they neared her house, Warren laughed. So this is how close we've been all along. I live... He pointed down the block to the rows of houses next to hers. There. She didn't see which he meant and decided to keep this to herself. When she wanted him to leave, she would ask again. I have something for you, Sarah said. And with that, she took him by the hand and led him through the house and to her backyard. A backyard and a house so near to the street wasn't as big as one in a suburb, but to someone like him, who had never gardened, it was impressive just for bringing so many different flowers together. She supplied the names of those he didn't know. To impress him further, she admitted to how she got them all. From the park? Really, you carried them all the way home in your hands? Yes, she nodded. That was what she did. Sarah snapped a young daisy from its stem and put it in his hair. For safekeeping, she said. Even on his little head, it looked as small as it was. He took to the style as well as she had and put the daisy in his shirt pocket when they parted. She didn't begrudge him that. He blushed a little. Had she given him another daisy, his face would have reached its full color. Where do you live again, she asked. Whether he understood her intentions or not, Warren gave her an answer. At the end of the street, he said, the white house with the red roof. By red roof, he meant the shingles. Later that day, she went there herself. Warren didn't see her. In their attempt to keep what was obvious to everyone secret, they excused their long absences after school by, see by saying they'd gotten detention. That nobody believed them was clear when none of their parents asked why this happened every week. Even Warren behaved better than that. School was the one part of their lives that required him and Sarah to know what time it was. Their parents, all four of them, agreed that their children should be back by dark and be outside at nearly all other hours. They had to come home to drop off their school things, but then they were expected to to find something to do. They were unsure what form their relationship would take until one day she invited him to the park to see just how she had stolen her flowers. Those, she said, 
pointing at flat patches of dirt where the holes that the flowers had filled. The patches seemed suspicious to her and a few others. She knew why they looked like that. The others only suspected it. The, grounds creeper, the groundskeeper was there. He smiled at them. That made her laugh. All three knew there was something between Warren and her. Only she and Warren knew who had taken the park's flowers. She put her father's edelweiss into her, in her hair, not because she had warmed to the style, but because it was the most visible way to wear it. Warren took her daisy from her shirt pocket, from his shirt pocket, and put it first behind his ear like a pencil, then in his hair, where it had a firmer hold to make fun of the groundskeeper without him knowing. She moved to kiss Warren. He stayed where he was. Their lips met. Both were surprised by the warmth of the other, warmth that, because of their closeness, was now theirs too. In that moment, he lost all interest in his plans to hurt her or to escape punishment for doing so. What harm had she or anyone else ever done him? None. He suppressed the shame this answer brought him, knowing it would be uncomfortable to think of now. Sarah wanted to laugh, but smiled before she could, and then her laughter broke her smile so that her mouth shrank a little. There was more life in his dark eyes, not just because of how quickly they moved to take her in, but also in the way they looked. Everything seemed more itself than before. The sun was brighter, the flowers more colorful. She was friendlier to herself and to others, even strangers. Neither she nor Warren had very much in the way of conversation, and it was hardly appropriate to say anything now. Words could only distract them from what they felt by describing it. They sat beside each other and practiced kissing with the same feeling but less build-up. It didn't take long for them to get the hang of it. When the sky grew dark, Sarah walked beside him as he went home, just for the sake of doing so, not using this as a pretense for something else. She introduced Warren to her parents the next day. In response, he did the same with her and his parents. Both were short affairs, conducted in front of their houses, as the one was bringing the other back home. Sarah's parents spoke openly about what a nice boy she had found. Warren's parents felt the same way and said Sarah wasn't bad either. Summer vacation came and gave them more time than they knew what to do with. If school were still in session and they were in detention again, Warren's notes would take a very different turn. Now he could say what he felt openly, and still he couldn't bring himself to say what he had felt, that he had wanted to get Sarah in trouble. Sarah showed him the rest of her collection, that being stones and keys and whatever else she had a passing interest in. Much of it, like the stones, was in her garden. All else was in the safe boxes in her room. Despite being cheap plastic that was easier to break than the pathetic locks, those boxes were still more valuable than their contents. There were, she explained, flowers she would never let into her garden even if someone gave them to her for free. Those gifts, whether it was she or more often her parents who received them from friends, went into the vases on the mantelpiece. 
Nobody ever offered her stones or keys, but she would have returned them just the same if she didn't like them. She, he called her a little thief. Her mouth lifted into a hint of a smile, but she didn't deny it. She told him to wait in the garden with open hands and to close his eyes, then ran into the house. He felt metal and stone, then looked to see what she had given that she had given him some things with which to start his own collections. Try as she might, he never did. These presents were small enough to fit into his pockets along with what he usually carried, his wallet with the remainder of his allowance, and whatever he had bought with the money that had once been there. Even in love, there are only so many times you can sit or walk or run or talk together in a place as small as their town. Sarah confessed her boredom, a feeling she admitted was temporary, but she still wanted help. He felt the same way and found a solution. They could go to a nearby peninsula. It wasn't far from here, he said, and that was true, but he exaggerated how much there was to do there. If you looked at the place on a good-sized map, and you'd have to because otherwise it wouldn't show up at all, it was just a nub. They planned their trip down to the smallest small details to convince their parents they could be trusted. They'd leave in the morning on the bus at that street and return late afternoon with another bus. Since they were going off alone, they had to come back long before dark. This was the one condition their parents imposed. He paid for their bus tickets to repay Sarah for all her gifts. His parents offered to cover it, but Warren insisted they let him. They sat beside each other on the bus, he in shorts, a shirt, and sunglasses, she wearing about the same, both with sunscreen and backpacks that were mostly empty, even though they brought double of all they needed for a half-day trip. This looked ridiculous in an air-conditioned bus, in which most of the light was artificial, but they didn't mind. Without much light to dim, their sunglasses made it hard to see the inside of the bus. They wore them anyway. It wasn't that bad, and they were happy to be, go to be going somewhere. Warren took the window seat, though because there was nobody in the opposite row, Sarah could see outside by turning her head. He told her about the peninsula's history, how it came to be surrounded by water, what places had once been above sea level that were now below it, and when they could actually see the border of the peninsula itself, he pointed this out too. If he hadn't, she wouldn't have noticed by the landscape that was all green and yellow scrub grass. It took a while to go from seeing a sign welcoming tourists to seeing a, the sea rise up from behind the flat land around them and then make itself part of the horizon. The more they neared the city, the more this new horizon sank back down, slowly, so that they had time to grow accustomed to it before it was gone. Warren put on his baseball cap when they got out at the main station. So where do you want to go? It'd be a waste of sun to go to a museum. How about a boardwalk, he suggested. She thought that was a good idea. He watched Sarah block the sun from view with her hand, and eventually offered her a second cap from his backpack. She thanked him and squeezed his hand. They walked around the boardwalk, doing everything tourists are famous for, 
but without the sense that there was, this was wrong or inauthentic. They saw an ad for a fair and decided on a whim to see what it was like. He won her another baseball cap at a ring toss. He didn't try for that prize. In fact, he threw his three one-dollar rings, trying to land them all, not knowing what he would get for that. He only missed the first, but this early mistake cost him what he wanted. Warren had his pick of the second-rate prizes. With a better aim than he'd had before, Warren took his, took his own cap back from off Sarah's head and replaced it with the one he had won. Sarah and two girls standing in line laughed. They walked around the rest of the fair. Watching other people win and lose was free, he said, not that he was against spending money. Warren was careful to keep a cash reserve in case of emergencies. He had told Sarah to pick up this habit, if just for the trip. Had they gotten lost, together or alone, and they held hands partly to ensure that this didn't happen, each could have gotten home. Even if they had to take a taxi, they could pay most of the way, and their parents could take care of the rest. Either that, or they would walk from where the taxi driver kicked them out. Eventually, the noise of the fair was too much, even for them. They left through the fair's other entrance and exit, opposite of where they'd come in. Warren wanted to see the ocean. The way there wasn't far away. They'd gotten through their popcorn when they found it. The sight and the smell hit them at the same time. Warren took fresh breath from the moist air. They looked out from the peninsula's shore, first with their eyes alone and then with the stationary binoculars mounted on a swivel at the end of the pier. He put fifty cents in the slot, not bothering to see how much time that was worth. Right in front of them, just one long stride from the guardrail into the sea, one fish was swallowing another. A little beyond that, the water wasn't as clear and the boats that sailed at that distance made too much foam for Warren to see how the waves swayed. He gave Sarah a turn on the binoculars. Now he had to tell her about his trick. The more time he spent with her, the more it weighed on him. This change happened without him knowing, and was all the more powerful for it. Confessing, he thought, was more important for the both of them, was important for the both of them. He had learned there was no reason to dislike her, and that there never had been. She wouldn't be fooled into thinking he was better than he was. He spoke firmly, but didn't look her in the eyes. She was playing with the binoculars, which gave him an excuse for his cowardice, but meant he couldn't see how she reacted, except by what she said. Going by that, she seemed to take it well. That's all right. All that's over now, anyway, Sarah said. He was a schemer, but not one who doubted his plans very often. They waded, they waded through the waves, though Warren contended they were too small to be called that. Still, the water stood a little below their waists. He found a hermit crab's shell and gave it to Sarah, who took it with a warm expression that was not quite a smile. She tried to tease the crab out with a stick. The shell was a nearly flat spiral in a color so drab Warren couldn't have told it apart from the sand if not for how it moved against the direction of the waves. It was so large that the crab had room to retreat, which it did, 
as much as it could, but the shell's size meant there was also space for the stick to wedge into. If the crab had filled out the whole space, Sarah would have had to let him keep his shell, all because she didn't want to kill him. She scooped him out and watched as the naked crab ran into the sea to find a new home. There, by Warren's right leg, was a reed she wanted. He reached down and dug it out of the wet sand. She took it from him without knowing whether she could plant it in her garden. In fact, she doubted it would work, but there was nothing to be lost by trying. Everything they found on their trip got its own pocket in their backpacks. The shell's sand shifted around, but stayed within those boundaries. The water that dripped from the right from the reed leaked into the other compartments. At first, it was just a damp spot. That became a hole through which the rest of the water escaped. The sun dried their clothes as they made their way back to the bus station. They took off their sunglasses on the ride home. The sea lay on the horizon, rising and sinking like before, but now as if saying goodbye. Warren put his head on her shoulder and pointed to the sea, then waved it then waved to it with little turns of his wrist. She waved, too. They told their parents about their day, what they had seen, done, found, and won, but kept silent on what had happened between the two of them. Sarah showed them her new cap and her reed and gave her father the hermit's shell, a gift he refused. He thought it would make her happier than him. She left it at Warren's doorstep, out of harm's way, and out of sight from everyone but the only child of the house, who found it because he was closer to the ground than his parents. She planted the reed that same evening and watered, and watered it, hoping it would live. The next day, she knocked on Warren's door and, until they were in the park, pretended she had nothing urgent to say. She couldn't hide her intentions well, but he was too happy to suspect anything. As far as Warren was concerned, his confession, though late, had, had settled the matter. He was proud of himself and his courage, and of her for being so forgiving. Stopping by a patch of dandelions, but still looking at Warren, she admitted that getting over his trick had taken longer than it seemed. Hers was an easier confession than Warren's. There was nobody to ask for forgiveness. She had meant what she said yesterday, but not wholeheartedly. Although she knew Warren had changed, the feeling of betrayal returned, demanding to be taken seriously. What kept her from leaving him were all the gifts they had exchanged, those in her safe boxes and her garden, his pockets and his room, and those soared more safely in their heads as memories. When morning came, she couldn't explain what had happened last night. All Sarah said was that his trick didn't bother her anymore. Then you're good at hiding. I'm glad you like your new hat, he said, pointing to it as if she didn't feel it on her head. He suggested they plant their Edelweiss and Daisy in the park to make a, fret, to make a new start, he explained, with a seriousness that seemed odd for someone his age. He criticized his, plans, his plan before she could. They're both dead and I don't have mine on me. Neither did she. He laughed at how solemn he'd been just a moment ago. Ah, well, was all, he'd said, was all he said. The groundskeeper never did find out who was taking the park's flowers.
Sarah kept them and her Edelweiss, even as she got older. When she moved out, her father watered her garden, though he didn't steal any flowers or return them to the park. Warren would touch his breast pocket, where he decided the daisy was safest in tense moments. Few first loves can last, not always for faults in either person. Some, sometimes, as with Sarah and Warren, a first love is the most powerful because it comes unexpectedly from an innocent friendship. It lacks the depth, the complexity of other later relationships, like those Sarah had when she became a woman. But what's wrong with simple understanding? She never asked anyone that question. There was no answer both true and original. Either you said nothing or said nothing. She didn't compare the woman she married to Warren. He didn't compare his wife to Sarah's or to Sarah herself. They remained friends even as they grew up and found others. That their first love was so strong didn't mean their second, or in Warren's case, third, was any weaker. Both his wives found it cute that he should care so much for a daisy. In time, he thought of them, first the one and then the other, whenever he withdrew it from his breast pocket. Still, he always thanked Sarah for the flower and for the love to which she had introduced him. Sarah did the same with her Edelweiss. That was The Stolen Garden, read by Philip Balashev, and also written by Philip Balashev. Again, remember to like, share, and subscribe. And if you'd like to read along, there's a link to the in the description to the blog where I upload my stories. Uh, thank you, and until next time.